0: This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenal. A few weeks ago, we previewed the upcoming Vancouver International Film Festival that ran from October 1st to the 11th, and we're here today to discuss the films that we saw during the Fest 40th edition. Joining me today is Thomas Stoneham Judge, the excellent writer and editor-in-chief of the film review website For Real and the podcast For Real Crew and Cameos. Thomas is based out of Washington State, but came up to Vancouver to check out the films. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for that awesome intro.
0: Oh, no worries. Uh, yeah, th- it's sort of funny where I told you this story when uh, when we, we met up during the festival. Spoiler alert for for stuff happening down the line in the show. Um, but uh, because I don't really know a ton of film people out in Vancouver, I was just sort of scrolling through Twitter hashtags of VIF or VIF 2021 to see if there was any film people, specifically podcasters or writers, not just general movie fans. Uh, that I could reach out to and invite to be on the show because I had previously had asked uh, a mutual friend of both of ours, Matthew Simpson, who was on the preview episode. I said, Hey, would you want to be on the wrap up? He goes, I don't know if I'll have time. I'm doing my own wrap up show. I was like, I totally get that. That's fine. So that's why we did the preview and I found you. And then I found out that, you know, Matthew as well. So it all just sort of like worked together in perfect harmony. Really?
1: Twitter, Twitter is certainly a, a really nice networking tool for us, uh, for us journalists and podcasters.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Finally, Twitter does something good.
1: Great. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, so that, that was, uh, worked out really well because you're an awesome guy and I love your work and, and I'm really excited. We ended up seeing a bunch of the same films together. Uh, but before we kind of get into talking about the actual movies, I, I'm, I'm sort of curious, how many times have you actually covered VIF before?
1: Oh man um, so I have been attending the festival since like 2014. I very clearly remember um, uh, going to the center uh, to see whiplash uh, when that when that screened at the Vancouver international Film Festival. Um, and that is still to this day my absolute favorite theatrical experience. Um, was getting to watch Whiplash at a sold-out crowd before it was, you know, this public movie that everyone uh, should adore. <laughs> but uh, so, I've been, uh, so I've been attending since then. Last year um, was my first time covering it uh, officially as like accredited press. Um, but it's, it's always a great time. And, uh, and so I was happy that we were able to do it, uh, able to do it again this year and in person. So um, and like you said, it's really cool connecting with other people and, uh, um, and other journalists and being able to do this kind of thing where we can talk about the films that we see. Uh, in fact, Matthew, uh, I actually met him at the Vancouver Film Festival probably two years ago.
0: So Wow. Mm-hmm. There you go. at Vancouver International Film Festival, uh, getting people together.
1: Yeah, that should be their their, their tagline.
0: <laughs> like
1: that's li- literally the case, whether you're going to the movies or you know, connecting with other journalists and podcasters. So, yeah, let's pitch that to the festival.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna have to send an email to them, letting them know that.
1: <laughs> you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> now, uh, I'm also curious. I know you have attended virtually other Canadian festivals this year, but what is your relationship to Canadian cinema? Do you do you only attend festivals like? due to proximity reasons, or is it something else in general?
1: You know, I, I do, um, I, I, ha- I appreciate the opportunity to cover uh, these Canadian film festivals. Um, it's uh, it's really awesome to, to be a part of, um, you know, what Canada is putting on display for, um, you know, for excellence in film across the, the, you know, the country. So, I have covered uh, VIF, Um and Fantasia and Toronto. um, And they're all just fantastic film festivals and each kind of having their own dynamic and their own, um, you know, kind of their own vibe i guess uh and it's really cool to be a part of uh and and i'm really happy that i can uh, help cover that i do cover um, festivals actually internationally i've covered main games before um this year i covered a bunch uh domestically here in the states um but yeah i do i do kind of have this like attachment to canadian film and uh and film festivals um vancouver it was is nice because it is so close and i can drive up um but uh yeah but again i think it's just a really great scene to be a part of
0: Interesting. Yeah. I was so curious when I found out that you're not even from Canada. Why are you covering these Canadian festivals? What is, I w- I'm, as an outsider, like as an American, what is sort of your perception of the Canadian film industry and Canadian films sort of in general?
1: Um well it's it's certainly a robust community. Um Vancouver in particular. I mean you're you're in production. So Vancouver is just this like really awesome hub for uh for TV production and film production. Um and I think that that's something that isn't um as embraced at least here in Seattle um as I would like it to be. Uh, or as I would, as I would prefer. So it's nice to be able to go up to Canada and experience, um, you know, that scene and how, how robust the, the, um, uh, the industry is there. And obviously America has, has its own like industry in Hollywood, um, and, and, and all, of, all of the productions that happen there, but I don't live near that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I live near Canada and it's fun to, to be a part of that. And to, um, in fact, uh, there was yeah it was uh one of the days when i was up at vif um we were just walking down the street and there's a production going on like there's you know a whole crew and and a bunch of extra standing around and you know this is just you know a a a normal thing that happens in vancouver but i'm like oh my gosh look a film set like how cool (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't happen in seattle all that much um or or in washington so so yeah it's just a a really cool thing
0: (laughs) I guess because Vancouver can very easily double for Seattle or Washington. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's true. Um, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of movies that are taking place in Seattle, but filmed in Vancouver.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, before we get into the specific movies, I always like to talk about the actual festival experience. What did you think of the selection of movies, the platform, and sort of anything else related to VIF?
1: i was a big fan of the um selection of films uh that VIF offered um kind of like i mentioned you know the canadian film festivals they all kind of have their own vibe um and canada's uh or uh, vancouver's film festival really does um a a good job highlighting um like local uh types of filmmaking canadian uh british columbia and vancouver Uh, filmmaking and so i really appreciate that that's um that that's something that they emphasize in their selection um but a lot of their special features were also you know fantastic picks um i I did get to see um many of them at toronto um but it was nice to be able to actually see the ones that i missed at toronto in person um here in uh in vancouver um so yeah and we're going to talk about a lot of the the big ones but uh but it's just every year vif has such a stellar lineup of films um, and, and it's just, it's so cool to, to have that, um, you know, going into award season and, uh, and being able to watch these films before they hit kind of that, that, um, uh, award circuit. So, yeah, I'm, 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 very interested in seeing like which of these films, um, you know, start, you know, kind of making that race to the Oscars and, uh, and, you know, and, and talking about them with people as, it, as they become more, uh, more available to the public.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with all of that. I really like the selection. They had a lot of movies that I was excited about, both that I know are going to be bigger and smaller selections of films that like probably aren't going to make a ton of noise outside of the festival circuit. I, I enjoyed that as well. Uh, getting to go to, to theaters was awesome, uh, something that I've only done twice since the pandemic happened. Uh, and so getting to go four times was a lot. But it also was nice having to show the vaccine passport. It was like you felt a little confident, be like, all right, everyone here at least has their vaccine. So <laughs> hopefully we're safe. And I didn't hear any news stories about like super spreader screenings. I know during Toronto, there is an issue of one of the dune screenings. They had a uh, little breakout and so they had to notify everyone. But apparently it wasn't very many people that, that actually got sick. So that was good to hear as well. And I know you can't really talk to this at all, but uh, because you were geo-blocked, you had to come up to Canada to see everything, but the platform itself, the web portal, I thought was excellent and really easy to use and made it very clear of what was available to watch, could watch anything during the entire run of it. So I was, I was very impressed with, uh, with the way the, the digital platform aspect worked.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I yeah, I have not been able to experience it with this. And if I if I have one area of opportunity, uh, it's it would be to allow the platform at least to press uh, internationally. I know that there are festivals geo locking festivals is is a very common thing just because of rights and, and things like that. So so you know I, I kind of expect that and understand it, um, but it would be nice as press uh, to be able to experience that so that I can uh, talk about it. And and I have uh, been to festivals that have geo um the, the festival, but do either have a press section or have special press access um, that, uh, that they allow. So that would be, that'd be my one, one area of opportunity.
0: Yes, that's, that's completely fair. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're here to talk about movies. So let's talk about these movies. We ended up, both seeing uh, several of the same films. So those are the ones that we're going to spend uh, most of the time chatting about. And then we'll sort of briefly touch on some other films that the other person didn't see that we think might be of note. And so the first one I want to talk about is Belfast, which is the new Kenneth Branagh film about his childhood growing up in Belfast during the time of period in Northern Ireland known as the Troubles when Protestants and Catholics were, were clashing with each other. And, and I want to lead off with this one because... I saw this because of you. We were messaging back and forth. And I was asking you what you were seeing and you, you listed out a bunch of them. And I said, wow, I'm really jealous you got uh, tickets for Belfast because I was a little late choosing my movies. I was a few days late. And by then they only had uh, standing room tickets where you had to basically wait in line to, uh, to hopefully get some. And I was like, whatever, I'm not going to do that. And you said, Hey, I got an extra ticket. You want to come with me? And we had barely been talking and you offered me a ticket. And so I'm so grateful for that. And we also met up with uh, with your your friends Taylor and Matthew was there as well, and we all were sitting together, and it was quite the experience. And and I think you and I both felt very similarly at the end because we, we turned to each other and, and both just like were so happy about it. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah, we did, um, and I, I am happy that we connected. And I had that extra ticket. Actually, uh, a short story, if, if you don't mind, that's a little bit of a tangent. But a, a few years ago, I was attending the Vancouver Film Festival, and um, someone else had reached out to me because they saw that I was attending the film festival, and I wasn't accredited press at this point. I was just attending, um, but I had this gap uh, in the day where I, I was just going to go write. Um, and this this um, you know this person reached out to me and said, "Hey, I see you're attending. I have an extra ticket to Cold War. Would you like it?" and uh and it happened to be in that window that i had free and i said yeah sure and cold war turned out to be such an amazing film and i mm-hmm. am so thankful that i was able to uh to experience that uh film also black and white um and uh and incredible uh and you know thanks to the generosity of another twitter user so i'm happy to to i guess um pay it forward <laughs> in, in, yes. in a way um
0: Basically, you're saying now I need to pay it forward next.
1: You, you know, if the opportunity arises, I guess uh, if you want to keep with the trend, make it a, a black and white film. Uh, <laughs> it has to be a black <laughs> and white that's right. yes, of Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, Belfast, uh, Belfast was uh, a movie that I, I went into really blind on intentionally. One of my favorite things about attending film festivals is having such limited... Um, exposure to the film. It's really just like, you know, do you know the the director? Do you know their previous works? Do you know the actors? Um, and then here's a synopsis. Um, and so without trailers kind of giving, <clears throat> giving away too much of the plot, without, um, uh, you know, being exposed to the tone of the film, you know, I, going into these films, I... I get to kind of go in blind and, and hopefully come out pleasantly surprised. And that was absolutely the case with Belfast. I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be a lot more serious than it, than it turned out to be. And it was just, it was so funny and it was beautifully shot and the performances were amazing. I just have so little to to, to say that could have been better about it. Um, it, it was a fantastic experience. And I think that when it does reach the mainstream, um, that a lot of people are going to like it. Uh, And yeah, I, i was i was pleasantly surprised this turned out to be my number two favorite film that i saw it before.
0: nice yeah this this is one where i was uh i was a little optimistic for but i was also a little pessimistic for because Brana has kind of i feel like in my opinion been in the weeds basically for the last decade as far as the projects he's been choosing to direct even some of the stuff he's been acting in has been so hit or miss lately. And and this isn't like Kenneth Branagh of the eighties and nineties, who was like the greatest actor filmmaker going at the time for the last little while. I just really have not been impressed by almost anything he's done or at best been like, it was okay, which is very much damning it with faint praise. And so I was a little apprehensive about going into this. And then when it won the people's choice award at TIFF, I was surprised, but like not super surprised because while that's a good indicator that it will have success at the Oscars. the The nature of it being a People's Choice Award was: is this a crowd pleasing movie? Not necessarily. Is this a great movie? Sort of thing. So it's a so it's a bit of a weird dichotomy there, where where you're not always sure how the movie's really going to be, and and yeah, I w- much like you, I was just so blown away. I did see the trailer before. And that was my first hint of like, what is up with the tone of this movie? Because when you, when you first start reading just the description of it and hearing about it, you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be a super serious movie. And then early on there were the comparisons to Roma. And then not, not long after that was the very much blowback of do not compare this to Roma. This is not Roma. (laughs) (laughs) Um Yeah. and like now, it almost is like being compared to Jojo Rabbit, which is is very interesting as well. Which I could definitely see some of the comparison there. But yeah, this 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 movie hits on just about every emotional beat possible. You're right; it's it's so funny. It's very serious. Like I felt like I, I was in tears at a couple points. The performances are, are across the board fantastic. It's always so tricky when you have a film that is led by an actor of such a young age as Jude Hill is, but he really does carry this film in the weight and i and I think that Brandon does a great job of really positioning the story of viewing it from uh his perspective like there's a few moments where if it was just a regular standard dramatic film or whatever, I don't think the the tone or things like that would have been the right choice. But because it was from the perspective of, a, of such a young person, it really works out. And it almost, you know, I, I wrote about this in the review, the way he looks at his parents and his grandparents. His parents can do no wrong. His grandparents can do no, no wrong. Even though we know that they're fighting about back taxes and where they want to live and all this sort of stuff. There's still such an idolatry towards his parents and his grandparents that is just works so well for this film.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um yeah, like like you're saying the, the fan the performances are fantastic um and actually uh, having mentioned cold war when i was talking with taylor and matt about it we also kind of mentioned like it it does there are moments where it has kind of this cold warish feel to it i mean it's already got the black and white going on but then um there's that one dancing sequence uh um uh close to the end and and it's like oh this feels familiar. But anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, the comparisons that people are making to like Jojo Rabbit, I can see that. Um, maybe not so much uh to Roma outside of the fact that they're both black and white. I think Roma is a much more serious tone. Um and uh, yeah, a little bit slower paced. But um or a lot slower paced. But that's that worked for that film. But yeah, just just a lot to appreciate about uh, about Belfast and I really I really do like how it turned out was really good.
0: Yeah I that by the time you get to like that final musical sequence like i was just feeling so much love for this film it's my first five star movie of this year uh and and so far my my favorite thing that i've seen so far it is just absolutely fantastic it's incredible yeah yeah the, when you get to like the, the, like I said, when you get to that like musical sequence of mom and pa singing and dancing with each other, like that, that is one of like the most romantic scenes I think I've seen in, in quite a few years as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's like this because, like you like you said, they're, you know, they're kind of going back and forth about back taxes and, and there's, there's obviously conflict there, but this scene was just like a really uh, nice break. Uh, I guess for the characters and for the audience with all that tension. And it was, it was just delightful.
0: Mm -hmm. And, and for anyone that is a Jamie Dornan fan, you will not be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Right. Many ways. (laughs) (laughs) You said you're never going to step a foot in Texas again. I know
1: this is unexpected.
0: Oh, Nothing with you is unexpected. Your last
2: job is over 17 years ago. That's quite a gap. Well, you know, I've worked almost every day for the last 17 years. I moved back in with my wife last week. No, i calling the cops. Four. Nine. Really?
0: Eight. We decided to make a run of it.
2: I just need a place to crash for a couple of days. What's the big deal? Mikey, go fuck yourself.
0: All right, look, I'm going to be straight with you. I'm an adult film actor. Excuse me? All right, uh, let's move on to the the next film that I want to talk about, which is Red Rocket, which is the new Sean Baker film uh, about a guy who was a porn star who, some for some reason, we're not totally sure, has to leave Los Angeles suddenly, and he goes back to this small town in Texas where he's from, where he's trying to get his life back together, but this guy is a... Schemer and a skis bag and a whole lot of baggage with him, and he starts living again with his estranged wife and her mother, and we're not too sure exactly what's going on with that. And then he meets a seventeen-year-old girl, where he decides to take her under his wing and mentor her, and they eventually start dating and. I feel really gross saying this description, but for some reason, it actually kind of works. And and I don't know how to say it without like being like, yes, I condone a man in his late 30s, early 40s dating a 17-year-old uh, who's still in high school. But it somehow weirdly works, and it stars Simon Rex. And this movie is, if you're familiar with Sean Baker, who's done uh, Tangerine and The Florida Project, which are very sort of slice-of-life, intimate portrayals of uh, people who are often ignored by society and and this is such a very unique departure from those two films and some of his other work as well that like you'll see the you know the DNA between all of them but it, it's so unique and so different from anything else that, that Sean Baker has done and this one really connected with me but I, I I think I remember you saying that you weren't as big of a fan of it as I am though <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um... I yeah everything you're saying sound is is accurate. Um, I think that uh, I I didn't connect with the film all that much just because I I don't um, I don't know if it all made enough sense to me for the story. Like I think that you, the idea of you know this this washed up guy who you know is kind of this dirt bag um, and, and he takes advantage of anyone that you know. Uh, is is willing to help him. I think that there's something there but I don't know if this character was the right um angle to come at it from. I guess one thing I I didn't get was really the, the porn industry component of it. Like I think the movie could have worked without that. Um because even when it came to the 17-year-old um, I I don't know what the consequences were of that, right? Like I think, that, and ultimately that's where I struggle with this film is the consequences. I don't think the consequences of his actions and who he is as a character ever really came through. Um, And and I don't want to spoil the ending, um, but uh, I guess just kind of delicately speaking, the the end felt, left me very unsatisfied with how, um, with like what the message of the story was um and like what uh what we're supposed to take away from this guy being you know kind of this dirtbag uh and so uh i do think that there is what you're saying about the dna of sean baker's uh filmmaking in this film that is entirely true uh it's it's not as slice of life as his previous films are um i think it does have a more traditional um uh way of playing out um but i i think that uh it, it's still, it does work tonally. Um, it does work, um, you know, from, a I don't know, just from an entertainment standpoint, uh, it's definitely a lot more, there's funnier parts to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it is, I guess it is interesting to watch the story unfold here. Uh, I just, I just wanted, I was hoping that the consequences would be more, um, pronounced, uh, in this mm-hmm. film and, uh, and I think that that w- that was kind of um, uh, yeah understated.
0: Yeah, I I think that's that's completely fair, and and maybe it's just something where that didn't bother me because I I agree with you. There there was no he, th- this this guy I faced almost no consequences. You know there there is a big scene towards the end of the movie that he kind of gets his comeuppance a little bit, but like it's done in in such a way that like. You feel like he's being wronged at that point because it's someone else undeserving doling out this comeuppance. So it's it's tricky, but like I, I think I was just so uh, attracted to the performance by Simon Rex, who who plays the lead character, a guy named Mikey, of his charisma and like, yes, he's you know a complete dirtbag and someone you should not be spending any sort of time with, but like he also has this weirdly. Wholesome energy to him, even when he's like talking very vulgar, offensive, derogatory, saying all these disgusting things. But he still has this weird innocence to him that, like, you understand why people are attracted to him and why people want to be friends with him, and and it just has that aura about him. And I think Simon Rex was sort of perfectly cast. I'm not too familiar with his earlier work. I know he was an MTV VJ before. But being Canadian, we didn't get MTV and I don't think I saw the the scary movies that he was in because I think I stopped watching it after the second or third one. I think he's only in like the last two or something like that. So I don't, I have no real connection to who Simon Rex as a person is. And so seeing this performance, it was so, it was so fresh for me and and he he just seems so embodied for this role. He was he was so perfectly cast in this role and he just sort of gives it all. And I think that's what really worked for me. Also the copious amount of bye bye bye. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes. When the movie opened with bye bye bye, <laughs> I said, Oh, well that was an interesting choice. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah <laughs> Which yeah.
1: I appreciated. I mean that it just uh, that'll obviously resonate with a certain audience, um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I may not have cared for the character, but I do think that Simon Rex did a fantastic job uh, with the portrayal. And and everything you said, uh, I I would echo. He does have this charisma about him in this role um, that, uh, despite how you know, despite how much of a, of a dirtbag he is, there you know he, you then have this level of empathy for him, um, <laughs> which is which is interesting. It kind of you know, kind of like at the beginning when you're like. You yeah, it kind of worked for me, even though I don't, I don't know if I want to like be saying that it worked for me. Like that, that's kind of the same thing with this character. Like you, you like him, even though you shouldn't, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think this movie is going to probably be pretty divisive. Uh, I would love it if Simon Rex got nominated for an Oscar, but I can also completely see this movie being ignored by the Academy in general. Where do you sort of stand on that?
1: It's really going to depend on how things pan out. Like it's, um i'm i'm like the worst at oscar predictions i'll i'll make guesses and it's just never like i'm i'm never on the mark but i think that um i think there is something there's something to appreciate about it that 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 could um put it up for um you know oscar contention um i personally wouldn't i think that there's a, there are actually a, a lot of good movies to consider um and a lot of good performances to consider this year and so uh i don't know if i would give those spaces to red rocket this time or to um get yeah, to this film but that's just me and i just uh connected with the film on a different level than a lot of other people did
0: mm-hmm I think one one sort of last discussion point I want to talk about is maybe the, the two main women in this film. You've got uh, Brie Elrod, who plays Lexi, his estranged wife, and then Susanna's son, who plays Strawberry, the 17-year-old high school girl. I thought both women were also very terrific in it, and, and maybe maybe it, it probably might not work for everyone, especially the, the, the Lexi character based on what she's given to do. She doesn't really have much of an arc there. Uh, but I was, I was very impressed by uh, what to me is, is a, is a incredibly newcomer performance from Susanna's son that really sort of held her own against uh, Simon Rex's very charismatic performance because I thought she was equally as charismatic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I totally agree. Uh, again, good performances in the film for sure. And I think that, uh, um, you know, uh, in the Q and a that I was in uh, Sean Baker uh, talked a little bit about casting and how, kind of um you know there there was some intentionality behind it but there was also a little bit of uh spontaneity uh behind it and i can't remember who he said uh which which uh actor he said they kind of like drove past on the street and turned around and said hey would you like to be in a movie <laughs> It it's kind of funny how how that works and how he went about that process but whatever whatever the case it it, it did work for these for portraying the characters at least that he created
0: yeah, I, I read about that too. I, I saw that afterwards. And that was uh, the character of June, which was the uh, drug dealer's daughter. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah this, this is one that I think is going to be very divisive, and I'm very curious to see when it does open wide what the reactions are going to be. This is an A24 film, and it sort of fits in with their milieu of being offbeat films. So I'm, I'm really curious to sort of see if, if the regular A 24 crowd is really going to go for this, but as far as wider audiences, I, I have no idea if it's going to connect because it is, it's, it's a bit of an out there film, uh, especially for Baker's previous two efforts, which didn't really get a huge audience to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, fantastic films. Um, uh, but I, I don't, of, if we're talking Tangerine, um, Florida Project and Red Rocket. Red is probably my, my least favorite of the three, but it's also a, a kind of a different film. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll be interested in seeing like what he does with his career from here and, and the next films that he wants to make.
0: Moving on, let's talk about the next film that we saw, which was one called Official Competition, which uh, we were in the same theater for, but uh, I ended up separating from your group because I met up with my wife. And so she joined me to watch this one. But yeah, this is this is another uh, a big surprise for me. I I was drawn to this strictly by the three lead actors, and and that's all I really knew about it. I knew the the basic plot description as well, but uh, but seeing Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez in a movie together that was enough to really get me going. The plot of this is that there's this uh, super wealthy billionaire guy who decides he wants to have a bit more of a lasting legacy so he can't decide if he wants to build a bridge and have it named after him or finance a movie and be the main producer behind it. So he decides to do this movie route. He buys this the rights to a very famous book, hires the best director in all of Spain, who is played by Penelope Cruz, who is a little bit of an eccentric uh, artist. And then she casts... Antonio Banderas and Oscar Martinez to play these two brothers in this film, but the problem is they both have completely different schools of acting. Antonio Banderas is basically a pop star in the world of acting, very over the top, very concerned about his image and branding and all that sort of stuff. And then you have Oscar Martinez, whose day job is actually uh, a theater teacher, and he comes from a very sort of black box theater style, where he's very serious, does you know the the, the vocal exercises and warm ups and all that sort of stuff, and they clash and they clash with the director. And it was just, it's basically hilarity ensues of what happens when you get three very mishmash personalities with big egos in a room together and, and watch as they try to create something artistic. I thought this might've been one of the most purely funny films I've seen in, in maybe five years. I laughed so hard in this movie. What about you?
1: So, uh, Taylor Baker, um, made uh, no secret of how loud I laughed in this film. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's certainly one that, that is that is purely funny. You're right. I think that uh, it's very hard to come across comedies like this where it's, it's funny because of the content um, and because of the, the circumstances and the situations that arise. Um, so yes, I, I did love this film as well. This one actually clocked into my number three the uh, film that i watched at this um and uh and it's it it is just so funny watching these three different personalities um actually i guess everyone had these like because even the uh um the producer guy was just this like really odd uh you know kind of character in this like egotistical you know uh um, pensive kind of person but it's it's just so funny watching all these characters um uh like clash and and uh and create the, the situations that they do i i know that there's one particular scene uh that that just had me howling it was so funny um which was the uh the kissing scene
0: oh my gosh <laughs>
1: That will be one of my favorite scenes in theaters or in movies this year. It was just so perfectly executed and I couldn't stop laughing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah. So, so lots to enjoy about this. I do think it has this like, um, uh, I don't know if I like crowd pleasing, I guess, like it is, it is just a really fun film. You, you want to share it with people. You want to talk about it with people. Um, and, uh, and there's just so so much here also to appreciate with, uh, you know, like with, with the actors and the characters and, and how the story progresses and also the things that come back into play uh, in the conclusion of the film.
0: Yes. It it ends on a terrific final gag that I, I don't want to talk about. But it was like such a like a, a pitch perfect thing where I'm like, Yes, I'm so glad you, you brought this joke back and that's what the final punchline is. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I wonder what the audience for this is also gonna be like because this is a very odd movie on the surface. A lot of it the humor sort of stems from awkwardness or misunderstandings. And and I think if you're not on that wavelength I wonder if, like, you are at home and you are like, "Oh, this just popped up on a streaming service or, or VOD or whatever." I am going to rent it or watch it. If you are by yourself, maybe you are not in, in the you know a large group who aren't all laughing at it. Maybe you can watch this and be like, "What the hell did I just watch? This movie was garbage. I didn't laugh once." I, I can I can definitely see how that happens. And I also wonder if maybe this movie's a little inside baseball basebally. Where like, I went to acting school, so a lot of the stuff that like. the 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 two guys were doing or not wanting to do i i really appreciate it and like got a good kick out of that and then i feel like if you're like a real film person and, and follow the way stuff like can goes because it's obviously parodying stuff like that different big film festivals and the behind the scenes aspects of it if maybe you're not as familiar with it you might not understand what the the uh, what they're mocking, basically. So I want—I I am sort of curious to see if people who are not like huge, you know, film nerds or whatever, are watching this movie. What their reactions are going to be to it?
1: That's actually an interesting perspective to come at it from, because yeah, this movie plays so well with an audience. It plays so well with the crowd and the theater, um, and you know, it, it certainly works well in that space i i do wonder what's going to happen when it goes to streaming or vod um and you know people are then decide to either watch it by themselves or or at home not in that group setting um how that would play for them uh and if it would be as funny as as when you're in an audience uh, that'll be interesting to see
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh there i want to point out one of my other favorite gags in this movie was she's she wants these two actors to really feel the the tension and the pressure of, of what's going on and so she visualizes it by having this crane come and have this giant boulder hoisted up and they are sitting underneath it, and it's you know swinging in the wind and you can hear the chains uh, rattling against each other and they're they're supposed to act this tension out and because they literally fear for their lives. And they're looking up and, like, you see this, this boulder gently swaying in the wind. And they, they fear that any moment it can come crashing down and fall them. And she's like, no, no, it's safe. Don't worry about it. And she's trying to get them to, like, stay focused on acting. And, and the end of that gag is also just, like, there, there's so many of these little gags. I guess they're actually quite big gags. They just, like, pay off so well. And when the reveal happened, I, I like... I was gonna fall into the aisle laughing so hard.
1: <laughs> that that was a good sequence, and you're right. There, there there are a bunch of sequences that that do have these kind of punchlines or these like these reveals that make this the the sequence uh, have either more meaning or reveal something more about the characters. <laughs> and so um, yeah, that, I, I think that they implemented that very well from scene to scene.
0: I have to call out. Uh, a friend of the show, Bill Antoniu, uh I know he had seen this before. He's based in Toronto, and he wasn't a fan of it. And I was a little worried. I was like, oh, I really trust Bill's opinion. And so I went and saw this, and I, I loved it, as people can now tell. And so I messaged him after. I was like, why didn't you like it? And he said it was basically the same joke over and over again, and that he didn't find the same joke funny. And so I, I got to call him out for um, for not finding this movie funny, because this movie is absolutely hilarious. So take that bill (laughs)
1: it is it is funny and and i guess this kind of goes back to the conversation of like how are how is a will each person receive this film right because i i think you're that you do have to be like in the space for satire uh and you do have to also i think that it helps being in the know of what the satire is about um so um but also um even I I don't I don't think uh, it's necessarily the same gag over and over. I do think that there is a kind of a uh not a formula, but like a you know, maybe formula for like setting up a gag, executing it, and then having that punchline. And it does happen multiple times. Um, and so I can see that, uh, but uh, but I, I do think it's really funny. And I mean, I think maybe it just depends on on who the person is and,
0: uh, and how they're connected with the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then the last movie that we both saw was one called Benediction, which is the new film from, from Terence Davies, the, the British filmmaker, which is uh, about the life of the poet Siegfried Sassoon. So it sort of takes a, a unique approach where we get to see him in his younger days and then in his older days. So he is played by two different performers, much like the movie Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson biopic, where Paul Dano and John Cusack play Brian Wilson. In this movie, Siegfried Sassoon is played by um, Jack Loudon and Peter Capaldi at uh, younger and, and older stages, uh, respectively. And yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this film, despite the fact that I know that it's a very flawed film as well. You know, it starts out of him being. Uh, not quite a conscientious objector, but uh, he objected to England's involvement, continuing involvement in World War One, where he thought that the mission went from being a liberator to being an aggressor, and that he was then hospitalized for having a mental condition for believing that England should not be fighting, and then afterwards, after the war, it sort of shows his uh, career and poetry as an. Or artist and things like that. But also it's it's very much a relationship drama about the different loves of his life and and how that sort of all plays out and then eventually leading to what he was like as as an older gentleman. I like I said I love this, but I thought it was flawed. I'm I'm sort of curious to hear your takes on this film as well.
1: Um <clears throat> so I um appreciated a lot about the technicals of the film. I actually was able to have um a uh a conversation with the director of, of photography um about how uh, she uh, nicola daly how she went about um you know kind of uh pulling off a lot of the shots and, and the style and everything and and so i like the cinematography I, I thought was fantastic like it's a beautiful film beautifully beautifully shot um and it does have good performances uh i I guess I just didn't connect with it um, in in the way that a lot of other people have, um, and that and that's not. I don't think that that's me saying it's a bad movie. Um, it's just how I connected with it, and I I, I think that um, uh, there was a lot to appreciate, um, but I ended up leaving the film a little bit underwhelmed.
0: Hmm. Yeah, as far as the,
1: as far as the story goes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. For me, I think the flaws for me are, you know, it sort of sets up the the first early chunk of the film about his involvement in the military. But then that never really comes into play again once he leaves that behind, which seemed a bit odd that they would focus so much on that and then just sort of abandon it. Mm -hmm. and. I really didn't think the Peter Capaldi section worked for me at all. He he only shows up like in, in very brief moments in the early bits, and then the last third uh, basically becomes the lead, because we've now transitioned to Siegfried as, as he's older, and, and none of that stuff really worked for me. I thought his performance didn't match what Jack Loudon was doing with the same character, which really create a, a bad disconnect for me that that just sort of I couldn't reconcile and and Peter Capaldi has such a unique in voice like he he's got such a thick scottish accent and here he's doing a british accent but i still hear the Scottish Peter Capaldi through it. So it, like if anyone's watched him in like Dr. Who or in the loop or stuff like that, where you just know what his big booming abrasive voice is. And he he sort of brings that to this and it isn't what works for the character. And, and that was just something that just really didn't work. But on the flip side, I thought Jack Loudon as young Siegfried was absolutely terrific. He he brought so much to this table and, and I really felt every emotion he was going through in it's interesting because I feel like most of the time, you know, we watch movies of of queer romances and relationships. It's so much about it is about how you have to hide it from society. And it's interesting how Siegfried, I don't know if it was true or not, but basically was basically so above the rest of society and the aristocracy that it, no one cares what your sexual orientation is so he was allowed to be an openly gay man and date other openly gay men and no one cared at all so that was that was sort of an interesting thing where i can't think of another movie basically pre you know 2010 of where you can have openly queer characters and there's there, there's literally not a single point in this movie where his queerness is judged or commented on at all. So I was, I was actually quite surprised by that. And I really enjoyed that too.
1: Yeah, I guess that is a good point. I was just thinking towards the beginning, he, you know, he obviously doesn't feel um, uh, confident or comfortable with being too public, but even in that case, you know, there's the doctor that, um, you know, kind of supports, um, you know, the, you know, his sexuality, you know, and, and, and so, yeah, there is a lot of, uh, support and uh and acceptance of that throughout this film i guess i didn't think about that yeah
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it it was interesting Uh, that was just something i felt i needed to comment on where like i don't think i've seen something like that but um i really like the performance by by jeremy irvine who played Ivor novello who is a very famous british singer and actor if anyone's seen alfred hitchcock's the lodger he is the the main actor in that who plays the lodger so it was really interesting to sort of see him portrayed on screen in and, and such a diva personality, and it worked so well to sort of balance the the quiet, reserved nature of Siegfried Sas- Sassoon that he was just so over the top. And I I, I really... The, another thing that I think really worked for this was the script. It, it was so witty and just, like, a lot of, like, clever barbs thrown at each other. It was just like, let me watch a bunch of, like, really sassy people constantly insult each other
1: (laughs) that was a very entertaining component of the film um yeah just a a very witty and very um i don't know snappy and just so full of attitude sometimes Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. yeah no i think that that was the script was was done really well in those conversations that happen um when it's like one-on-one conversations uh they they do they do create a lot of entertainment in those scenes
0: now, Terrence Davies, is obviously being a very respected filmmaker, isn't the biggest name in, in the industry. So I I really don't think this movie is going to get a, a ton of attention elsewhere. I know some other people have been, been seeing it, and a lot of people really aren't super high on it. Like I said, I, I'm very mixed on it, despite the fact that I do love it. It, it does have a lot of flaws. But yeah, I, I think this is unfortunately going to be a movie that a lot of people just are probably never going to end up watching.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, which which is unfortunate. I think that there there is there is a lot to appreciate about it, but uh the yeah, for all the points that you said, it might it might go under the radar. Um mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, And then one thing I actually forgot to mention is uh, with official competition, it actually won the audience award for the galas and special presentation section, which is very interesting. The way that they they sort of break it all up is it's based on the category. So there's like 12 different audience awards. So I don't really know what that all means. There, There was no real like clear favorite from the festival. I rate it both official competition and belfast i i gave it a 5 when i was uh, submitting my ballot so i was i was very happy with that but i was a little surprised that belfast wasn't the winner maybe because it only had the one screening i think official competition had two i don't know mhm
1: i i mean i would imagine so i i don't know how they uh how they average that out when movies have more screenings than others because there was only the one belfast screening and um I think that was unfortunate because I, I, I would have, it would have been nice for more people at the festival to have been able to experience uh, Belfast.
2: But that, I think, that might have something
1: to do with the official competition did have more exposure at the festival.
2: Hey there. If you're listening to this podcast ad, first off, you've got great taste in the podcast. Kudos to you. But secondly, you probably like movies. Watching them, thinking about them, analyzing them, and reviewing them. And while the tales we see on the big screen do merit discussion, I think that's only half the story. Why do we see so many sequels instead of original films? What determines which films get sequels in the first place? Is it more the directors making a big hullaboo about seeing their films in theaters than on streaming? And beyond the obvious social good, why is making more diverse films important? The answer to all these questions and more can be found on my podcast, The Box Office Watch, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. For better or worse, Hollywood is the business, and which films are profitable and which aren't uh, determines what kind of films get greenlit and which ones don't. Each week, I go over the box office charts to understand which films are on that path to profitability and which ones aren't, as well as to understand any major headlines in the movie industry that might affect those bottom lines. I help you understand industry terms like exhibitor splits, multipliers, and theater averages. And honestly, the story of how a film grew wings and flew at the box office or fumbled around and flopped can sometimes be more engrossing than the actual story on screen, in my opinion. Box Office Watch can be found on all major podcast stores, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, and I hope to catch you there. And remember, our watch goes on.
0: All right, now let's move on to some films that only one of us saw. Uh, so you saw a whole bunch that I didn't see, but there, there's two in particular that I'm very curious about. I'll let you pick which one you want to talk about first, actually.
1: You know what? Let's start with Drive My Car. Um I'm going to start with this one because it's, it's such, such, such a good movie. So, um, uh, so emotionally involved. And, and I think that the the emotional impact of the film, even though the film is three hours long, the emotional impact of the film is, is so strong and how it's formatted, um, is also a little unique as well. Um, and I, I, a lot of people resonated with this film, very strongly and um i wanted to like really badly the, the the three-hour runtime i think is entirely necessary for this story for what um was being done with the story um but uh there's a problem for me with scheduling a three-hour film at nine o'clock at night in that <laughs> I'm an old, i'm an old man and it was a long day. <laughs> so um, I it, I was pretty exhausted by the end of the film and I wish that I had been able to go to the the press screening of it earlier the week uh, early in the week uh, when it played at like 10 in the morning. Um, that would have been a much better time for me to be able to like soak in uh, everything that that this movie has to offer. Um, it uh, it is playing at AFI fest, which I, I will be um, covering virtually and so hopefully i get a chance to revisit it but uh i guess as far as my contribution to like uh how you know how people should like view this film i think it's it's a fantastic film with incredible performances and it's it's so um so well done and how it takes this short story uh and turns it into a three-hour movie but um but there's nothing in the film that i would say you need to get rid of or remove it's all necessary and it all builds up to this super emotionally um charged conclusion um and and it works really well i just i just wouldn't recommend watching it super late if you're not a a night owl <laughs> you know i guess that's <laughs> that was my only thing um but i would like to revisit it and actually be able to soak in uh everything that that the film offers so
0: mhm now one thing that's going to come in common with with both of your picks that we're talking about is uh they were both submitted to the oscars for best international film so drive my car was submitted by japan and you it it sort of sounds like i don't think it's going to be a a front runner to win but i definitely think it's going to be a front runner to get nominated and if that's the case this is definitely going to get a, a pretty big audience for it
1: i do hope that it gets nominated it certainly deserves that um uh it's yeah it's it, i think that it's a film for for audiences who who are prepared and in the in the mind space to to take in a 3 hour film um i think that it will play very well um for those audiences and um uh, yeah i would love to see this one get nominated
0: awesome it's um it's it's like a rumble from the core of the earth Bam. and and then then it shrinks and so the the next one that you saw that you want to uh briefly talk about is is one called memorial directed by Epi peach rastacool which he normally makes um, Thai films, I believe. He's from Thailand. And this movie takes place in Colombia and was submitted by Colombia. But it also stars Tilda Swinton. So I, I'm very, very curious about this. Uh, so please tell me more about it.
1: You know, Memoria, a lot of people will not like Memoria. <laughs> uh, I, however, adored this film. So this is another one uh, that's, it's, it's, what is it, two hours and 15 minutes long? So it's longer. Um, and so much of what happens in this film is very, I guess meditative is the word that I would use, where you're really just, like, observing a shot for a lot longer than you would traditionally um, watch a shot happened. So there's a lot of long takes and not a whole lot happening in those long takes. Um, think uh, like a ghost story with uh, the pie eating scene. Mm-hmm. Think a whole movie of that. <laughs> um, but here's the thing is that I, um, in the moment, am trying to like figure this movie out and also trying to be patient with it. This was another late showing um, and I'm trying to be patient with it and and experiencing it. Um and where the story goes um is is what kind of kept me interested because the premise is almost like this kind of mainstream premise it's not a very mainstream film as far as the tone, but the premise seems pretty mainstream um where you know the tilda Swinton's character like hears this boom that nobody else can hear like that's that's a captivating uh premise in my opinion and uh and so she goes to like figure out why she's hearing this and i I spent a lot of the movie concerned that that the answer was going to be too abstract or too um i don't know like not not a very concrete uh or satisfying uh answer um i don't want to spoil the answer i'm not going to um but i it, it did come to a conclusion that um that wasn't um that uh at least answers it in a way that is that is understandable, I guess. Um, but ultimately, like when it comes to like my connection with the film, I just I really appreciated the um, the experience of being uh, of following Tilda Swinton's character through this journey, um, and like the spaces that she ends up in, and uh, and the um, events that kind of lead up to the conclusion there's just there's so much about it that um that i appreciated and that i liked and i enjoyed sitting with for so long there are some times where it's like okay are we going to move on yet um but what i took away from the film were the the moments where sitting and lingering and idling just like and just like you know meditating on these um uh like spaces and events and things like that it, it sat well with me and I took that away um, <clears throat> from the film and was able to just like uh, live with the the things that I loved about it right so um, I, I again I don't this isn't a movie that everyone's gonna like I Matt um, made it clear that he was very mixed about the film and it will not play well I don't think with mainstream audiences but um, but for me it was a wonderful uh experience and a really cool um thing to have been a part of i guess
0: mhm yeah well apichpong weerasethakul is is not exactly uh a mainstream director even even at the best of days like his films uncle Boon, Me, who can recall his past lives and cemetery of splendor they're they're very philosophical meditative films so like <laughs> how big of an audience are you going to get? This will probably be, you know, his most well-known film strictly because it has someone as big as Tilda Swinton in it. But what's that really going to say? Anyways, uh, I, am really curious to get your take on the release strategy that they have neon, which is distributing it in, in the U S North America planned on never having it come out on a streaming platform or on home release. And so that has angered a lot of people. Uh, As someone who has seen it, how do you feel about that?
1: You know, so it's funny. I was talking with uh, Taylor uh, Baker about this. And we were talking about the release. And I said, well, I think it's a very creative marketing strategy. You know, marketing is is what I do for a day job. And so I'm like, oh, it's a very creative marketing strategy. And uh, I, I would love to see how it pans out. And he says, yeah, you only feel that way because you got to see it. (laughs) <laughs> um, and he's not wrong i would be very annoyed if i missed it at biff and uh and didn't have another chance to see it until whatever that one week is that it plays at that one theater um you know that hasn't been announced yet so uh, in seattle or, or vancouver so uh so i think um I, I i am genuinely interested in how this plays out because i don't think it it belongs in like wide release or even limited release i think that and i also think that the tilda swinton um component of it she's phenomenal in this movie just a fantastic performance especially with how how difficult it probably is to do a lot of nothing um i i mean the uh not a lot of nothing but like to to be as stoic i guess uh, in in this movie, but I think that that's going to upset a lot of people. People are going to come to this film thinking, "Oh, Tilda Swinton, you know, she was the ancient one in, in Doctor Strange and all these <laughs> other mainstream <laughs> mainstream roles that she has." And it is not that that at all. Like like you mentioning this director, he doesn't do that, right? And so um, I I almost think that that's going to backfire on this film because people are going to come expecting kind of a mainstream uh, Tilda Swinton performance and and movie and they're going to get up and leave the theater uh (laughs) because because it's not that at all um so so i think maybe from that perspective where tilda's one is kind of the uh the uh the attraction here that this is probably a, a very creative way to um i don't know to like curve that that interest level when don't put it out uh so that everyone can see it um put it out very limitedly keep that demand really high and only the people who are invested into um you know this type of filmmaking will go out of their way to watch it now i mean is that fair for people who haven't seen it um i i would say no um but uh it is actually um for american audiences it will be uh at AFI. And I'm not sure if it's virtual, uh, if it'll be virtual, but AFI will, will be screening, screening it as well. And, uh, and I, I would say go into it with caution, um, and, uh, and just be prepared to just have a kind of a low expectation for the entertainment value and, um, just be ready to kind of appreciate the, the art of meditation, I guess. <laughs>
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts on the release strategy. And I know because I haven't seen it, I can't really talk to the content of the film. But as far as the release strategy, it was so funny when it got announced. All I think about is, for the last year and a half, how everyone's been so sad and depressed about hearing boutique theaters closing down, and how the world of movie watching has shifted to mostly be an at-home experience, and everyone's always like, you need to see movies in theaters, you've got to go see it in theaters, it's the best possible way to do it, you know, you get immerse yourself it's easy to not look at your phone and not be distracted by anything and then this comes out and they're like all right we're only going to play it in theaters and everyone's like no no that's terrible <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> and so i just think of the meme of like being like uh people complain about the theaters and then memoria exists and people are like no not like that mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah oh there, there is an interesting double-mindedness to that i i think that the maybe the biggest hang up is, I mean, as far as I know, it's, it's only going to play in one theater a week. So it's going to do like this world tour. Um, and so that's, uh, I, I think that a lot of people are, are, um, bothered by that and the fact that it doesn't really have a schedule yet. Like you won't, as far as, um, the release strategy goes, they haven't actually announced what cities it's going to go to. Um, uh, and and when and so that can create a lot of frustration with people that uh that want to see it it's like i don't even know when i can see it and and if they if i think if they want this to be a successful campaign that they would put out you know a, a schedule for like when it's going where at least for i don't know the next year um and then you know after that it just continue your world tour and, and go wherever and announce on, on, that, on that rolling basis. But uh, just announcing, yes, we're going to show this so limitedly that a lot of people aren't going to see it. We're not telling you yet. <laughs> we're, putting it, uh, we're just yeah. going to announce this marketing strategy. It can kind of come off as like a, um, it just as like a marketing ploy um, when I really hope that they are, are considerate of, you know, the interest from uh, film critics and film uh, enthusiasts uh, who want to see it and want to be able to plan to see it. Uh,
0: And and I think the other thing is, I feel this purely is just a marketing strategy. Like, a whole bunch of people are talking about it that wouldn't have been talking about it before. It would not surprise me in two, three years from now, Criterion announces that they are putting out a version of it. Like like this sounds like a way to get butts into seats and nothing more like good on them for basically antagonizing film fans into wanting to see this. <laughs> basically it amounts to,
1: I mean, that's, that's maybe that's the play is like, will this movie play better with, you know, um, yeah, a hundred thousand dollar opening weekend, or would it play better with weeks and weeks and weeks of sold out shows? Even if it's, you know, uh, one or, or however, whatever the limited number of theaters it's going to per week. Right. Um, yeah. So so yeah, it it is it certainly screams marketing, um, and I'm a, I'm I'm a little sad that there's not more of a an intention behind it as far as like the film, uh, like like expression of art or, um, but you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out because I do agree with you. I think at some point, um, if this movie does play well in this like limited release thing, at some point it'll be available um, in streaming or on on some in some capacity on demand, but,
0: uh, mm-hmm. and then, uh, the movie that I want to briefly talk about is a Canadian film called all my puny sorrows, which was directed by Michael McGowan. It's, it's based on a, a book by Miriam Taves. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, basically the story of, of two sisters. Uh, one of whom is a, a divorced woman and struggling to write her next book. And then the other is uh, a happily married woman who is a concert pianist, who uh, has suicidal tendencies and she tries to kill herself and, and sort of reunites the family back together as they are trying to, as they struggle to deal with the different issues that are going on. It stars Alison Pill and Sarah Godon as the two sisters and I, I really fell for this movie. It seems like I may be a, a, a bit on my own with this. I, I struggled to see this in previous festivals. They only were having in-person screenings and weren't making it available to critics. So it's a bit of a, a frustration. And I finally was able to see it at VIF. It, it was playing on the digital platform. So I was very happy I got to see it. And I loved it, you know. Alison Pill is an actress I like but don't really love. I was mostly intrigued by Sarah Gadon who I really like as a performer. But the movie's carried by Alison Pill and she does she does such a great job of trying to keep this together because the main conflict is that their father had also committed suicide and so sort of seeing the effects that it has on the family already of knowing how much pain someone taking their life can be and how it affects those and how she feels that her sister is being uh, very selfish, understanding the pain that their father's death, death caused them. So it, it does, does such a, a great job of, of really making this a very intimate family story about mental health struggles and one I, I really connected with and also surprisingly funny at times too. Was this a movie that, uh, that you were familiar with at all? Because I know you weren't able to see it because, uh, it was on the streaming platform.
1: You know what? So I, um, I'm trying to think, I actually did watch this movie at a different festival. Um, oh. yeah, I wasn't, um, I didn't connect with it as well as you did. Um, I think that you do make a lot of great points about how it's, uh, how it approaches, uh, mental health and, and the, the pain and and difficulty of like, um, of, uh, having to deal with suicide and, 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 um, you know, a loved one wanting to commit suicide. Um, but I think that it, it, I couldn't connect with it. Um, even though I think the performances were good, there just wasn't enough, um, I hate to say the word entertainment value because I mean it's a very very serious kind of a a movie, but um, yeah, I just I just didn't connect with it. I do I do love Sarah um, uh I think I started paying atten- a lot of attention to her after Black Bear, um, which mm-hmm. screened at Biff last year. And actually, there's been some other projects that she she's been in as well. But you know, Black Bear was kind of this like standout. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to watch anything you're in. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> And she puts on a good, and she does, like I said, a good performance as this character. There just wasn't enough meat to it, I guess. Like, and I don't know how else to put that. Um, I, I'm happy that you resonated with it a lot. I think that um, stories about mental health uh, are very important. There was actually another one that screened um, at SPVIF called uh, Everything Went Fine, which which also has to deal with... Um, with uh, suicide. Um, and so I do think that these stories about mental health are very important to get out there um, so that we can destigmatize um, how people see mental health and, and actually be able to, um, you know, bring it to the forefront of, um, you know, what we, how we can deal with it in more healthy uh manners but uh but yeah as far as like a movie i i don't know if i if i would personally recommend it um just just because i i didn't resonate with it all that well but uh but i'm happy that you did i'm glad that you enjoyed it.
0: yeah this is this is now my third canadian festival in a row where i really connected with with a great canadian film so i was was happy about that this has been a, a fairly strong year for me in terms of watching canadian cinema uh and then something that that isn't really related to the, the the quality of the movie or not but i just sort of found it funny where i'm so used to watching allison pill she has such a, a young look to her and i feel like i've been watching her for for quite a while playing young characters her having a teenage daughter i was so thrown off i'm like they cannot honestly expect me to believe that allison pill has a teenage daughter that's 15 years old or something like that and then so i look up her age and i do the math and i'm like Oh, man, she totally could have a 15-year-old daughter. She is old enough. What is going on? Yeah, like she was born in 1985. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so that was just something a, a little surprising, but uh, <laughs> it definitely sort of made me look at her a little bit differently. i like, oh, yeah, I guess I have been watching her act in movies for like 12, 13 years now. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that that sort of wraps up our our, our different coverage of of movies we saw. I know you obviously saw a lot more. I saw a few different ones as well. And you had seen plenty of films at other festivals that were screening at VIF. But like, as we said at the top of the show, this was just an excellent selection. And it was my first VIF, and I'm so happy I got to do it. And and I'm really excited to do it again next year.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. A VIF is something that I look forward to every year and uh and try to plan around. So yeah, I I can always count on VIF having a, a fantastic selection of films and uh, and always being a great experience. So
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Thomas, for joining me today. Where can people follow you and what have you been working on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I uh obviously my coverage of VIF. You can find that at moviesforreal.net um both me and uh, and another writer uh for our site Taylor beaumont um were able to put some reviews out for films um and uh so you can find my content there um there's i will also be covering uh afi fest um virtually which i'm looking forward to in a few weeks um so anyway all that's at moviesforreal.net. you can connect with for real movies and reviews uh, on twitter facebook and instagram at movies for real uh, and you can also connect with me um, on twitter and instagram at being tsj
0: awesome well i'm going to include links to the show notes for people to find your coverage of vift and everything else associated with your website but you can also follow this show on instagram twitter and facebook at ContraZoomPod pod and let us know what uh, you thought of if if you saw anything and you liked it send an email to contrazoompod at gmail.com Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Mm